Before we pray together today, I wanted to give you an update about the church plant that we're supporting down in Lebanon, Illinois. I ran into Jacob at a conference I was at this week. This is Jacob Goebbels. If you come on Sunday night, you might know Jacob and McKinsey, their story and the need for the church plant there in Lebanon. But uh, our church has been supporting them for about a year and a half. And uh, I just want to update you on what he told me is going on in their church and in their community and in the need the, uh, there. Lebanon is a town with 5,000 people, but every year it swells with a, uh, with a college that's there. McKendry University is there. And so it's a town of 5,000 people. And until Rooted Community Church came and was started, there was no gospel preaching church in the town. Um, and so that's what the need for this church is. And one of the things he told me is he said that... Um, when he and McKenzie, uh, I think they were with somebody else, went to Lebanon for the first time to kind of see, is this the place that God would send us to? And he said, um, a woman in a, they got into a conversation with said, please come here, we need you. And he was like, oh, that seems to be an open door and was excited about it. And he said, the longer we've been there, though, the more I've realized this town does need a gospel preaching church. And he said, if we were to leave, like, who would be left to preach the gospel here? Who, who else would be to uh, love the community and to love that area? So one of the things that was really fun is while I met Jacob for the first time, another guy comes up and, uh, well, Jake and I have tried to meet before, but something could come up. Well, this time, so we're talking and another pastor comes up and goes, oh, this is another church that's supporting us. And that pastor had said, hey, I grew up in a Southern Baptist church and I realized we have never, ever started or helped start another church. And he said, when I'm the pastor, we're gonna, we're, I want that to not be true of us. I want us to be a part of that. And so Jacob comes to him and says, hey, I'm thinking about starting a church. And he said, okay, we're in. And so here I am, and then uh, I get to meet other, another ch- pastor from another church that's also praying for and showing up and supporting Jacob and McKenzie. So it was really, it was kind of fun to feel like, hey, we're, this is the team that we're a part of that's coming to share the gospel here, to live out the gospel here in this community. But a couple things I think uh, we can pray for Jacob for is he and McKinsey have adopted two, uh, uh, two siblings while in the first year and a half that they've been planting the church. They also adopted two siblings, and they're right now fostering a third. Um, and looks like they're going to be uh, adopting this child as well. And so he said, my family is doing well. I kind of pressed him on it because I know pastors can sometimes be oblivious to that. But he said, our family's doing well. The Lord has been kind. Their family's doing really well. And so um, I wanted to share that update with you, show you Jacob. Again, we've been supporting them for a year and a half, uh, almost two years now. And... um, it's making a difference in a town that would not have the gospel without them. And we know there are more towns and cities and communities in Illinois like Lebanon. That's not the only one. But this is a, a, this is a church that we get to join with um, that's making a difference. The church is called Rooted Community Church. And I've, I've said before, if somebody from our church, it's an hour and a half away from here. And so uh, if somebody wants to go and worship with them and pray for them and be a blessing to them, feel free. I won't be upset. Uh, Jacob has said, uh, Jacob has said, we would love to, when, we love it when our, uh, I'm not sure what word he used, but when our, our, our sending churches come down and worship with us, we love that. He said, that's the best part. It's not the money, you know, it's the fact that these are people that love us and show up for us and worship with us. So if you ever are like, hey, it's a Sunday morning, I'd really, I'd like to go see what God is doing in Lebanon. 
uh, to be a blessing to them and pray for them, feel free to go and worship there in Lebanon with Jacob and McKinsey and the rest of the church that's there. Uh, t- today, as we pray, I wanted to give you that update. And I, before I start praying, I want to give you the invitation, just in the quietness of your own heart, to pray for Jacob and McKinsey. I'm going to be using Psalm 105 to help me guide my prayers. But And in Psalm uh, 105, uh, one of the kind of central verses in it is the verse, look to the Lord and his strength, seek his face always. So in the quietness of your own heart, before I begin, I want to ask that you would pray that Jacob and McKinsey and their whole church would look to the Lord and his strength and seek his face. Let's pray together. Father, as we we come to you, we're thinking about Jacob and McKinsey. We, we think about Rooted Community Church. We think about the, the need of the gospel in Lebanon. And we pray, Lord, that they would look to your strength, God, that they would be convinced of it, that in their moments of weakness, they would lean on your hand that is so strong. God, we pray that they would, that they would be constantly seeking your face, not seeking success, not, seek, not seeking speed, not seeking control. But God, we pray that they would be consumed with a desire to know you and to love you and that their, their neighbors there in Lebanon would know you, the only true God. God, we pray that they would remember all of your mighty works in their lives. We pray that they would be reminded over and over of how you uh, in the Bible provided for your people, parting the Red Sea, feeding your people, giving water, giving homes, restoring and giving grace and drawing your people. God, we pray that they would be convinced of those things so that they would walk by faith in the coming days when days are hard. God, we especially pray your blessing on Jacob and McKenzie in their home. God, we thank you for the incredible picture of the gospel that they live out daily, adopting these children and loving on them, fostering kids who need a home. God, that is a picture of what you do for us in the gospel. And it is a demonstration of the kingdom breaking into the world there in Lebanon. We pray, God, that you would, be a, you would bless their home, bless their lives. God, we pray that you would give rest to Jacob and McKenzie. They would be that they would know you smile on them in the gospel. And so they get to do ministry from the the grace of God, from the record that they have in Christ. God, we do. We pray that they would be faithful in doing gospel work, sowing the seed of the gospel. Lord, and we pray that in these days they would see a harvest. God, we pray that that what has been true of Lebanon would not be true ever again. That it would that would be without a gospel preaching church. We pray that the college students who are there who deal with all of the same temptations and issues and fears and sins that we deal with, but they deal with them without Christ. God, we pray that you would make Rooted Community Church your mouthpiece to the students who live there at that college. God, we pray that Rooted Community Church would be the first fruits of a new generation of churches that go out sharing the gospel with every man, woman, and child in Illinois. God, we pray that the gospel would go out to every community, God, we pray that every community would have a gospel-preaching church. And we pray that every church would have a godly and faithful pastor. God, I pray for us here today, not just Jacob and McKenzie, but I pray for us, God, that that you would help us to remember your wonders and your acts in this, in our day. 
God, it, it can, our minds can be so clouded with worries about the future, regret about our past, shame and guilt and fear. And God, I pray that today you would use your mighty works to remind us of who you are and what you are doing in our lives. God, I pray that we would be convinced that the God who has rescued and saved and delivered us is going to continue to rescue and save and deliver us in the future. God, I, I know some come here with heavy burdens today. And I pray, Lord, that they would walk out of here more and more convinced of your power and your might and your strength so that in the coming days they would seek your face, that they would love you wherever they find themselves. God, I pray that you would make us people of joy that doesn't make sense. Our situation doesn't give us joy. Our world doesn't give us joy, but our God gives us joy. I pray that you would make us a people that don't mope our way through lives, but we are, we are glad in the Lord. and We love being your people. And we love being on mission in your world, among in this world. God, I pray today, we have a number in our church who are sick or recovering from being sick. God, we pray for a number of them who can't be here with us. We continue to pray for Janie and for Maureen. We pray more healing in their bodies. God, we pray uh, for Roger and Peggy right now as um, Roger has some illness. God, we pray... Uh, that your healing hand would be at work in their hearts and in their bodies. God, we pray that you would give them a peace that passes all understanding. God, we pray that you would show yourself to be a healer once again in their lives and then through them to minister to those in their family and in their, in their, their neighbors and to their friends. God, we, we, uh, we pray for others who may be sick, others who can't be with us because life is just has uh, thrown them a curveball. God, we have some in our church going through crisis. Maybe people know about the crisis. Maybe it's a private crisis. They've not told anybody. But God, I pray for those right now who it's easy to feel hopeless. It's easy to feel abandoned. It's easy to feel like, is, is anything, gonna come, anything good going to come of this? God, I pray that you would show yourself once again a mighty, wonder-working God who says, yes, I can make light shine in darkness. God, we pray for those. I pray for those today, God, who need wisdom, that you would give them great wisdom. God, we pray we pray for those that are retired in our church. Retired from a career and retired from work. And that brings its own challenges, God. And so we pray for those in our church who in this season of life are finding other things that they need to do with their time and with their lives and with their gifts. God, I pray that you would fill them with purpose in this season, that you would remind them that you are not done with them in a season of retirement, but that you have good works that you created them in Christ Jesus to you. I pray, God, your blessing on those in our church that are retired, that you would, that you would remind them that, the, that you still have things in front of them, reminding all of us that the best is yet to come for those who are in Christ Jesus. God, and with retirement comes financial uh, worries and stress. And so, God, I, we pray that you would continue to uh, give them their daily bread and remind them that you see them, that you know them, and that you love them. God, we pray uh, for those. In our, I also pray this, this morning for those in our church that struggle with bitterness. Might give different words to it, but struggle with being jaded, and unforgiving about things that have happened in the past. 
I could never speak to them again. I will never forgive them. I will not ever. God, there are so many ways that we can, we can harbor bitterness in our hearts. And so I know, I am sure there are some here today that struggle with bitterness. And I pray that you would show yourself to be a mighty, wonder-working God who sets people free from bitterness so that we can be a light, so that we get to demonstrate a forgiving God to our world as we release and let go of bitterness. God, I pray that you would deliver us from those sins. And I pray that in our hearts, as you show us in your word who you are, you show us your plan and you show us how you work, God, I pray that you would cause us to leave here today more equipped to worship and to work in the places that you have put us. In Jesus' name, amen. Sometimes what you don't know can get you killed. In, uh, in the 1850s, there, in London, there was a water pump that pumped good-tasting, clear water, which was a big deal at the time because not every place in London had good-tasting, clear water. And uh, this one woman didn't live in the community where this, this pump was, but she remembered the taste and loved the taste of this water better than other water. And so her family would go and get her water from this pump because that's the good stuff. The problem was, it was right next to the sewage pond for that community. The water, you couldn't tell there was anything wrong with it. It was still clear. A doctor looked at it through a microscope and it was fine. But the problem was, somebody in that housing area got cholera, which is a word, I mean, that's not really a word I know a whole lot about, but somebody gets cholera, the waste goes into the sewage pond right next to the, the good well, and cholera can kill you in 24 hours. And so it starts spreading like wildfire in that community, but because some people outside of the community like the well, they would come and get it and take it somewhere else. And so the disease was spreading because nobody knew how, what the disease was, where it came from, how you got it, or why it was a big deal that the sewage pond was right next to the water pump. I was thinking of that story because sometimes we think about knowledge as, well, yeah, you know things and there's some important things to know, but, some, but we don't usually think about how sometimes not knowing something puts us in incredible danger. Sometimes the things that we don't know, that's the place that we're vulnerable. In that story, there in London in the 1850s, they're vulnerable because they don't know where the disease comes from or how it spreads or that that's the wrong pump to go to. Today, we're going to be looking at a passage that talks and tells us you're in danger because of what you don't know or because of what you misunderstand. We can kind of go through our Christian life and say, well, just tell me how I should act or what I should do. But the passage today is going to say, you're actually vulnerable based on what you don't know or if you misunderstand. Because what you don't know can get you turned off track and put you in danger. So go ahead and turn with me to Galatians chapter 3.
Galatians chapter 3. Now, if you've been here in previous weeks, we've been walking through Galatians, which is a letter not like a normal one because they're in danger because they've started believing the wrong things and then believing the wrong things gets them kind of turned off track. So then they start dividing the church and then they start trying to live in such a way that they can earn their salvation. And then they begin sharing a message of the gospel that is wrong. And so this is a letter that's really about people that are in danger and Paul was writing to them to, to, to warn them, to call them back off track and call them back to the way that God would have them to go. And so today I'm going to begin reading verses 1 through 6. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish after beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by the means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So again I ask, does God give you His Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Let's pray. God, as we open Your Word today, help us to see what we need to know to protect ourselves, to protect our families, to protect our church. God, to protect the gospel in this generation. God, may we not put that off. Help us to know what we need to know so that we are safe. In Jesus' name, amen. Here in chapter 3, what I want to show you today is this this chapter calls us to protect our, our own faith, our families, and our church. It is Galatians starts out with really strong language. You foolish Galatians. We don't usually use words like bewitched. But this is a call to us to protect ourselves, our families, and our church. And what I want to show you today is four ways to protect yourself and those you love. Four ways to protect yourself and those you love from this passage. First, this passage says, understand that your salvation came by faith and not by works. Have you ever, um, have you ever struggled with the relationship between the Old Testament and the New Testament? You've ever gone, like, how are we supposed to read Exodus in light of Jesus? Have you ever, like, gone, you've, you've, you've gone beyond that, you go, how am I supposed to read Zephaniah in relationship to, you know, Matthew or something like that? If you've ever struggled with what is the relationship of the Old Testament to the New Testament, this is the clearest chapter in the Bible on that. But it's a practical chapter because it's not just, let me just tell you the theory about the Old Testament and the New Testament. But like let, this chapter says, this not getting this right puts you in great danger because it's going to get you off track. But what he starts with this, this language, he, like, he borrows like the language of a pagan religion or, or witchcraft and says, who has bewitched you? 
Before your very eyes, Jesus was clearly portrayed as crucified. And he says, I want you to, I want to know this. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by believing with what you heard? Here, Paul starts by calling to us and says, is calling to the Galatian believers and calling to us and says, you need to be really clear. What is it that saved you? This is the church where he's already, he's talking about how Peter and Barnabas, we don't question their salvation, but they'd started hearing messages and behaving in ways and then living out those ways among others and their life, maybe not their words, but their life was starting to deny that salvation comes by faith. And he starts by pointing to them to their experience and says, Were you, was your life changed? When he says, did you receive the Spirit? Or are you, did, uh, after beginning by means of the Spirit. What he means is, did you feel the power of the Spirit who comes and lives inside you, giving you an ability to, tr- to love God and love your neighbor, to have victory over sin, to have the comfort of the Spirit that Jesus promised from John? He says, Did you receive that because you made a New Year's resolution to obey? Did you make a New Year's resolution to say, this is going to be the year that I stop lusting? And so then you just felt free and everything changed. He says, did you just, you decide, hey, I am going to, like, I'm going to this year get every detail right. And then God's Holy Spirit came on you and you felt the comfort of the Spirit and the power of the Spirit to live inside you. He says, no, you, you who have been raised with Christ, he's talking to guys like Peter and Barnabas, you have, you have the ministry of the Holy Spirit living inside you so that you can say no to sin. And you received that when you put your faith in Jesus. And so Paul is calling them to think hard about the work of God in their lives. And he reminds them that the beginning of Christianity starts simply with repentance and faith. Nothing else. Not repentance and faith plus something else. Not repentance and faith in behaving like a Jew. Not repentance and faith plus circumcision. He says you receive the Spirit and the work of God in your heart and life. Because you repented of your sin and trusted in your faith. And that's the end. That's, that's where this comes from. And so Paul is like, you need to be reminded your salvation came by faith and not by works. Then he points them to the, the in verse 6. He says, so also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. He's going to unpack this more and more to show that this is the way that God's plan has always been. But the, the point here is that until we understand salvation comes by works, or I'm sorry, by faith alone, not by works, we are in danger. Paul is calling to us and saying Christianity begins and continues in this way of faith. And if you don't start there, then you're going to have a different message. You're going to have a different life, and you're not going to have the comfort of the Holy Spirit working inside you to show the fruit of the Spirit and victory over sin. And so, in our day, we must protect this this truth. We must understand it for ourselves and for our kids. Because imagine if you spent your whole life telling your kids, you can be set free. If you read your Bible enough, if you do enough good things, if if you serve enough, if you give enough money, if you do all of these different things, if you don't go to this place and you don't hang out with those people and you don't do this and you don't do this and you don't do this, 
you're going to get to the end of your life and you're going to find you've been sharing the wrong message. This is so critically important because we start and continue by f- in the same way. I'm reminded in the same way that there have been a lot of things in your life that have changed on the farm. Or if you're a gardener. Like there are a lot, the pieces of equipment are bigger. They're different. They can plant uh, a little bit. They can plant significantly different than they used to. You can manage weeds significantly than you used to. You can harvest a lot more than you, can, than you used to be able to. But the one thing that hasn't changed is you still have to put a seed in the ground. And it still has to get water at the right time. Might have other fertilizers and chemicals and other things that you can do. You might be able to do a lot more acres than you used to be able to do 75 years ago. But the reality is that farming is still essentially a work of planting and cultivating and waiting and harvesting. The, the, the basic premise in a, on a farm, the basic premise in the garden is still the same thing in the same way we have to understand from this passage that salvation has not changed and it will not change there is no let's have a different message a different method there is one way to be saved one way to continue in the christian life and this is by faith and not by works so that when when god come when we one day face god and he says you know, you know the old question, why should I let you into my heaven? There is nothing that Joe could do on this earth that would like, qualify me to be there. It's simply because Jesus said I can come. He said if I would take His life and death in my place, then I would have a home with Him. Repentance and faith is what the Bible says, and so we must memorize this or it puts us in danger. We have to share this in our homes or it puts our kids in danger. Our grandkids in danger. We have to hold to this or it puts our church in danger. Because that's what is happening in Galatians. The church is in danger because somebody has come in and says, yeah, but don't you think they should be circumcised? Don't you think they should follow this law? Don't you think they need to follow this rule? Don't you think they need to do this? And Paul's like, that's a dangerous church who have let go of this message that we we must to protect ourselves and our families, and our church, and our community, and our mission, we have to understand that salvation comes by faith and not by works. That's the first way to know and protect yourself and those you love. Second way to protect yourself and those you love is understand that God's plan was always salvation by faith. Understand God's plan was always salvation by faith. Verses 7 through 14 is where Paul begins to make this clear. Listen, he says, Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. 
Verse 12, the law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole or a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. We have to understand that God's plan was always salvation by faith. So if you've ever wondered, what is the relationship of the Old Testament and the New Testament? This is, he's laying it out right here. Abraham, he says, received the promise And so everybody who comes to God by faith like Abraham does are his children, whether Jew or Gentile. This passage quotes Genesis chapter 12, Deuteronomy 7, Habakkuk 2, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy again. To say that the Old Testament is constantly pointing us to the fulfillment in the New Testament. That there was no salvation uh, inherent in the law. That all of it was pointing us to the salvation that was going to come. And so Abraham's salvation was by faith. And so Moses' salvation was by faith. So David's salvation is a salvation by faith. And so this whole thing says that the law and curse... All of these things are pointing us forward to the day that freedom is going to come and that salvation is going to come and it's going to come to Jews and Gentiles. So the church at this time is a mixture of Jews and Gentiles. And some people came from Jerusalem saying, Peter, you shouldn't be eating with those guys. They haven't done enough. Barnabas, you shouldn't be eating with those guys because they haven't kept enough of the law. Peter and Barnabas go, well, okay, well, maybe I need to separate from them. So then those Gentiles are starting to think, oh, so we're not saved by faith. We've got to do stuff. And this teaching is incredibly important because the church is in danger of letting go of God's one salvation. It's something that common that you will hear sometimes. Somebody will say, well, You know, that's the God of the Old Testament, and we believe in the God of the New Testament. Galatians chapter 3 protects us by saying there is one God. Same God who is at work in Genesis and Leviticus. Same God that's at work in Judges and in 1 Kings and in Habakkuk is the same God come to earth, the God-man, Jesus Christ, living the life that we should live, dying the death that we should die, and being raised to life so He can offer forgiveness to everyone. The the whole Bible has one plan. And so if you read something in the Old Testament, you go, what is that? What is that? It is not sitting on its own. It's part of a story that God is telling that's leading to Jesus. And we have to understand this or we're going to be vulnerable because someone's going to come in and say, oh, you should believe this. You should go this way. You should do this thing. No, there is one way. There's only been one way, and there's only ever going to be one way. And so anybody who comes in and says, you have to do anything except for repent and trust Jesus as Savior and Lord, then they're wrong, and they're putting you in danger. The message is going to come into our hearts that says, God's not happy with you because you didn't do enough of these apologies. You didn't say these things. You didn't go through these rituals. You didn't do these things. Those temptations come into people like you and I. 
evangelicals, Baptists, people in our day are tempted to think, I have to perform or God will not love me. And this passage reassures us, reassures us that the God who accepted and approved Abraham accepts and approves everybody who comes the same way Abraham did. Uh, President James Garfield wasn't president for very long because there was a, a mentally ill man who came and shot him. But the problem was the, the, the bullet isn't actually the thing that killed him. The thing that killed him was his doctors because the doctors were so concerned to get this bullet out uh, that they continually stuck their fingers inside the wound trying to get it. The bullet went in and went to the right, and they thought it was on the left. And so uh, for weeks and weeks, the doctors would stick their dirty fingers. They didn't know anything about germs. They didn't know anything about that. They would continually stick their fingers in this wound, probing around to try to get this bullet out. And so the reality is the bullet would have lodged itself in some fat in his side. It wouldn't have ultimately done anything to him. And so he wasn't really the president that was assassinated. He was a president that was killed because his doctors didn't know what they were doing. I was thinking of that story because this passage says you have to know this or you're going to be sticking your finger in the wrong places and doing the wrong things and killing yourself. If you, don't, if you don't know and hold on to this, you're going to misunderstand the Bible and you're going to be vulnerable because someone's going to come in and say, oh, haven't you seen this verse in Jeremiah? Don't you think you need to do this, 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 and this? And so this passage says, protect yourselves by knowing and understanding. That's in verse 7. He says, understand then. You have to understand this or you and your family are going to be vulnerable and in danger. The third way to protect yourself and those you love from this passage is understand that God's promise came before His law. God's promise came before His law. Look at verses 15 to 20. Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant or will that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning people, but to and your seed, meaning one person, who is Christ. What I mean is this, the law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depended on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise. But God in His grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. Verse 19. Why then was the law given at all? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. The example that... Paul uses here is a covenant or a will. Your translation might say a testament. And he says that you don't get, to, if, you make a, 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 if you make a law or a covenant, if you make a will, then, and it's, it's legal, then you don't get to just start adding stuff to set the first one aside. And he says in that same way, God made His covenant promise to Abraham 430 years before the law came. 
And so anybody who comes in and says, God cannot love you if you do not keep the law, are ignoring the order of the Bible. It's so important that we understand the story of the Bible that in Genesis chapter 12, God promised to Abraham. And so everything that comes in between, he's going to say, is like a guardian or a tutor preparing us. But we have to understand that God's promise comes before his law. And so we can be saved by faith and say, this is the way it's always been. The promise comes first in verse 17 and then the law. And so then in these verses, Paul says that the law like fits inside the promise for a time. But what the Judaizers, that's the fancy term for these guys that are coming into the church, they're coming in and saying, oh, don't the law wraps up around the promise. And Paul says, no, no, the, the, the promise came first and the law fits inside it for a season. And so this is a call for us to begin to walk in this way. I think discipleship means believing God and then walking in that way. That's what Abraham did is he believed God and walked with God. And so in the same way for you and I, we can know that we are safe. Not because of anything that's, that we, any, any extra rules that we follow or because other people think, well, you need to do this, 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 and this. But because God says, if you will believe me, I will credit to you as righteousness. I love this. Uh, this, this, this chapter is really helpful. Like I said, Christians often ask me, uh, now, now how were Old Testament saints saved? Now, now, what is the relationship of the Old Testament law to the New Testament promises? Like, is God the same God in the Old Testament and the New Testament? Genesis, or I'm sorry, Galatians chapter 3 says yes, because you can trace the same story throughout the Bible. It's why when we looked at Genesis chapter 3 weeks or months ago, and we saw that God promised in Genesis chapter 3 that He would undo and unmake and fix the problem that Eve created with her sin. Adam and Eve created with their sin. That promise matters because it came before the curse on their sin. That it matters that we see Genesis chapter 3 has a promise in it. It matters that we see that Genesis chapter 2, 12 has a promise in it. It matters that week after week we look at the Bible and say, God, how is this pointing me to Christ? Because the whole Bible is doing that. And Galatians chapter 3 says that will keep you safe when you see the promises of God throughout the Bible and then begin to believe Him. Luke chapter 24 is one of the, probably one of the most important passages in the Bible because in it, Jesus is walking along the road to Emmaus. And it says that he, he walked with some of his disciples. They didn't know who he was. But he opened up and explained all the law and the prophets and pointed to how they pointed to him. And so if we don't do that, if we don't walk through the Bible understanding the promises of God all the way through, they all of them lead us to Christ, then we're going to misuse the Bible and put our fa ourselves, our families, and our church in danger. Because then we begin to be a people and a church whose confidence before God comes on based on what we do instead of confidence based on what Jesus did. And so, the third way that we protect ourselves and those we love is to understand that God's promise comes before His law. It's always been that way and it's always going to be that way in our lives. And so, if you're like, if you're here going, God, 
Do you love me and are you happy with me? Maybe there's something that you did or that was done to you. Maybe it's just a nagging guilt in your heart that makes you think, God, do you actually love me? If this is true, that God's promise is for those that believe him, then if you believe him, then you can know that he loves you and is as proud of you as he was of Abraham. If you deal with anxiety and fear in your relationship with God, you say, God, do you love me? God, are you okay with me? Do I need to do more? Are you satisfied? Galatians chapter 3, verses 15 to 20 tells us if you are in Christ Jesus, then God is happy with you by faith. Not because you keep the law, but because Christ kept the law and because you believed Him. It's always been that way and it will always be that way. God is not going to be more happy with you based on how much you share the gospel, how much you give, how much you serve, how many things that you do. God is going to be happy with you simply because you believe Jesus. Maybe some of you here today need the weight just kind of lifted off. God's happy with me. Not based on my week. Not based on how well I've behaved. Not based on how I handled that fight with my spouse last night. Not based on how good of a dad or a mom I am. But simply because I look at Jesus and say, yes, I'll take him. Maybe you just need that weight taken off and let you go, oh, it's always been that way and it's always going to be that way. The fourth way to know, to protect yourself and those you love from this passage is understand that God's law brings us by faith to Christ. So you go, oh, well, what's the place of the law, Joe? If it's always been this way, what's the, what, why did God give us a law? What is the point of that? Glad you asked. Verse 21. Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But righteousness, I'm sorry, but Scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin so that what was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian or our tutor, until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. These verses tell us that we have to understand. We go, okay, well, what's the place of the law? What's the place of the Old Testament? What was God doing with that? Why does God give those things to us? The reason for the law is because the law prepares us to see and trust Jesus. The reason for the law is so that we would see and trust Jesus. The law shows us that we're sinners and shows us we have never been able to keep God's law perfectly. The law is the, the, the phrase that it uses. Maybe your translation either says guardian or tutor. It was, it was a word for the special role that somebody would have. A servant or a slave in the household. 
they would be in charge of the child. And they would, have, they, are, they would go with them wherever they went. They would go with them and they would try to keep them under control and keep them out of trouble. Sometimes they would have a little bit of disciplinary um, uh, um, responsibility. The, the job, imagine, this is like a nanny who goes along controlling, shepherding, pointing them in the right direction, keeping them out of control. But ultimately, this is not the Savior. It's the guardian. It's the tutor. These, these, these Judaizers came to Galatia and said, don't you need to keep all of these laws because that's what's, God, what's going to make God happy with you? And Paul says, no. The law was the nanny. And when we grow up and we see Christ, then we're set free. We're changed from the inside out. And so the law is this guardian that controls and guides and shapes ultimately and prepares. And so until we understand this, we're going to use the law wrongly. And until we understand this, we're going to be counseling each other and encouraging each other. And we're going to be encouraging new believers. And we're going to be telling our spouse and telling our kids. And we're going to be telling our Sunday school classes the wrong thing as long as we misunderstand and think that the law is the point. But the law is a guardian that prepares us for what's better. And says, go and be free. Go and be free by faith. Be changed from the inside out. God can do in you something that the law could not do by faith. And so then, this is the use of the law, but I want you to notice the result that all of this leads to. Notice, notice this description of the Christian life. The law leads us to Christ. Christ sets us free by faith. And then this is verse 26. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. In those verses, the result of all of this, the result of understanding all of this is hope. Like, we are Abraham's seed. All, we are heirs of the promise. Look at what is coming for us. All of this is leading us to hope. And says, when we understand this, instead of being in danger, instead we are given a lasting and abiding hope that says, look at what God is preparing for us. And so if you're like, I, wanna, I want hope. I'm struggling. The future doesn't look bright. I don't really know where all this is going to go. If you want hope and you say, I don't know what the end, of this, end result of this illness is going to be. I don't know what the end result of this endurance is going to be. I don't know what the end result of this strife is going to be. This passage says you are children of God by faith and heir according to the promise. And so everything Jesus gets, you're going to get. That is abiding hope. Also notice, not only that, but it gives us security. This is, it give, these verses give us Security. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. You belong to Him. And if you belong to Him, then nothing can separate you from Him. And so those of you who need security today, this passage says understanding these things promises security. Nothing is going to take you from Him. Nothing is going to put you at risk in this. Because you have been united 
with Christ. You belong to Christ. And then notice the unity that this gives. This that gives unity. It ultimately leads to, in the church, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. There's not insiders and outsiders. There's not the top class and the second class. There's not the early and the late. There's not the back row and the front row. They're all one. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. The church is united with each other in such a way that no human club could do. In a human club, it's how much you earn, it's what you do, how much you give, how long you've been a part of the organization. In God's church, it says we are all one in Christ. And so if you want a home, if you, want a, if you want a people that you belong to and that you belong to with, this passage gives it to you and protects you. The world isn't going to protect you, but the church is going to protect you because you've been united with Christ. And so this passage tells us that we must understand that God's law brings us by faith to Christ and with Christ, it gives us everything. It gives us everything. And so, this passage that calls to us who are vulnerable by what we don't know and says, you need to know these things, you need to believe these things to protect yourself and your family and your church, calls us to understand, calls us to understand our salvation came by faith, not by works. Understand that God's plan was always salvation by faith. His promise comes before His law and that ultimately even the law itself brings us to Christ. And so in that, this passage then says, and so based on, the, based on this gospel, you're safe. Based on this gospel, the church is safe. Will you do this this week? Will you believe this? Will you rest in this? Or are you going to forget it? Right, you, you, right now you know the, and live by faith, but maybe this week, you're going to doubt. Maybe this week you're going to fear. This week you're going to forget. Or maybe this week, like Peter and Barnabas with their actions, you're going to deny. Like, where's the good news in Galatians chapter 3 for, the, for us who sometimes forget and sometimes get scared and sometimes walk away and sometimes deny with our actions? The good news of this passage is that the law of God leads us to Jesus who takes the curse for us. For you. If you are in Christ, the promises of God are offered to you permanently by faith. Not because you remember every moment. Not because you're faithful every time. But because Jesus was faithful and took the punishment that your sin deserves. And so, when you forget to continue in faith, Jesus says, she belongs to me. Give her what I earned. When you doubt, Jesus says, He belongs to me, give Him what I earned. When you rely on the law to make you secure and your performance to make you secure, Jesus says, She belongs to me, give her what I earned. When you place burdens on others that you yourself can't bear yourself, Jesus says, He belongs to me, give Him what I earned. And so, this passage leads us, like the whole Bible, to Jesus and says, Trust Him. Depend on Him. Maybe you're here today and you've never trusted in Jesus at all. You've trusted in how you behaved. 
You trusted in your performance in the church. This passage says, lay that performance down and trust in Jesus. This passage today says, stop trying to earn your way to heaven and take Jesus. And you get all the promises of God and you get a special place with Abraham. So if that's you today, let today be the day of salvation. You can come forward and talk to me at the end of the service. You can talk to me after the service. You can talk to one of the deacons. But let today be the day of salvation that you stop trusting yourself and you trust in Jesus. So this passage calls us to protect ourselves, our families, and our church by faith. I want you to imagine what changes in your own heart in the middle of the night when you wake up remembering that thing that you said or did, wish you could undo. Imagine what changes in your own heart when you say, no, God is happy with me because of Jesus, not because of my performance. Imagine what changes in your home when the encouragement that you give each other is based on the fact that That God's happiness with us comes by faith. Imagine, that sounds like a different kind of counsel. We don't instead say, nobody cares, try harder. Instead, we begin to encourage each other with, Jesus has set you free from the law. And so now, by faith, you can walk in his record. Imagine what changes in our church. When that is the language and the belief and the culture that we have, where you don't get ahead based on how you perform, what other people think about you. There's no higher or lower. There's no Jew or Gentile, male or female. There's just all one at the foot of the cross, believing by faith and getting all the promises. I think that sounds like a good news kind of church. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would protect us with your, with your word. Protect us because we understand and hold to this gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.